You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Happy Father's Day to you all. If you want to go ahead and pause that, because we're going to honor some dads here, and I'll jump to the message here in just a moment, sermon. We're going to continue our series on uh, 1 John. Now, I thought about doing a Father's Day message, but I thought, you know what? Uh, let's honor our Heavenly Father and keep reading through the Word of God. The, the Word of God is a is a love letter from a father to his kids. And God inspired men and women to to relay and to give to us his words of challenge and encouragement. So let's read from a father's letter to his kids, Father God, and a spiritual father. John was an old man by the time he wrote 1 John. He was coming near the end of his life, and he, he was basically an elder at a church in Ephesus. And he was nearing the end of his life. He's the only apostle that lived to be an old man. All the others were, were uh, um, put to death or martyred. And uh, so this is a spiritual father's letter to his spiritual kids. Uh, we've been talking about this, this challenge between what it means to be a true follower of Christ or a poser. And the entire first John letter, it is a letter, was written by his spiritual father coming to the end of his life, looking out over the church going, man, there's a lot of fakers here. There's a lot of posers here. And there are people that are, that are coming in and people that are growing up inside this church that, that aren't truly followers of Christ. So he wrote this letter so that the church might know who is for real and who is fake. And so over and over again, he says, this is how you know. This is how you know. This is how you know. He says it in 22 passages. And in the 22 passages, he gives us 10 questions about spiritual lie detector tests. And so what we've been doing is taking a look at one or two each week. Today, we're going to look at two more. And uh, to kind of get us started, I want to talk about these things right here. You guys remember Glenn Campbell? I'm a rhinestone cowboy. That meant that he was a cowboy that loved to be, be bedazzled. When we think of uh, rhinestones, you know, we think of like bedazzled jewels. And, and uh, you know, these are different. You know, see if I can get it to glitter, to shimmer. Um, you know, we, we, we think of, you know, bedazzled, the little glue thing, little thing you, you know, you put on your jeans and your purses that were so cool a while back. Uh, but rhinestones uh, originally uh, originally got their name. They were crafted from rock crystal found in the Rhine River in Germany, and uh, they were actually rocks. And they were when they were cut with such precision that it was almost impossible to tell the difference unless you had a magnifying glass. So there was this sense that when cut a certain way, they looked like diamonds but they weren't. And the apostle John in 1 John, he basically says the church has got some rhinestones. They look just like diamonds. But if you take a closer look, you're going to find that they're just costume jewelry. They're not the real deal. Um, So as today, as we dive into what it means to be a real Christian or a rhinestone Christian, things aren't always as they appear. So this is not just a test for you to test others. The first test is the test with yourself. So let's kind of jump in right where we left off last week in 1 John chapter 2, 
verse 18 is we're going to pick it up. And if this section that we're going to read had a title, it'd be called Beware the Antichrist Might Be Moving In Next Door. So this is actually about the Antichrists, plural. So we're going to talk and explain what that means. So let's take a look at it. Verse 18, it says, Dear children, this is the last hour. Now, some of you might be thinking, what is John talking about? Did he think that it was the end of the world during his time? A lot of people think that he was uh, confused or, or just, you know, thought that it was the end of the world and that it really wasn't. And here it is 2,000 years later. And I got to tell you something. Either John had it right or he's a false prophet. Now, what's important for us to understand is, to, is that he's not a false prophet and he's not a false apostle. So what did last hour mean? Well, the literal translation means last era. It means we're coming to the end of everything we have known. The resurrection of Jesus began the last era. The next one is in eternity. And what they were about to see in their lifetime was the end of Judaism as they knew it. So he says, the last era or the last of everything we've known is coming to an end. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Again, you're like, well, is he talking about the end of the world? Is he talking about, you know, something that was happening in their time? And this is important to realize because if he's talking about something that's in the future and he's telling people that it's happening now and that they're seeing it now, then he's really, really wrong or he's been misinterpreted by a lot of people. So he basically says the Antichrist is coming. Now, when you hear the word Antichrist, what do you think? I don't know, most of you guys think Left Behind series or some kind of end of the world and, you know, Damien, Omen, or one of these, you know, the Antichrist, you know, the mark of the beast. And he goes, but he says, but even now, and you might even want to underline this if you write in your Bibles, even now, many Antichrists have come. He says, this is not just about an individual. This is about many individuals. This is about many people. He says the word anti means against. I want you to know that. So when you see the word anti-Christ, it means against the Messiah. It means against Christ. He says there are those who are out to destroy the true faith of Jesus. He says they're in our time. And guys, listen, 2,000 years later, they're still in our time. Those who are against Christ. He says, this is how we know it's the last hour. This is how we know it's the last era. This is how we know we're in the last portion of eternity, of, of, of our time here. This is how we know because there are people who are against the Messiah. Now, the word Antichrist occurs in the Bible only in the letters of John. So when you think of the word Antichrist, it only shows up in John's letters. And when it does... In the five times it shows up in four verses, it's always in reference to plural individuals. It's not about a person. It's about many people. So this is important to understand when you start thinking about the Antichrist. The Antichrist. There are many, many Antichrists have come. He says, they went out from us. He says, originally, these guys were from within our own church. He says, these anti-Messiahs, these antichrists, He's against Christ. They once identified themselves as Christians. He says they 
or from our own fellowship. He says, or from the church in general. He says, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. We're going to come back to that later. Basically, um, they did not stick, so they were not legit. You can write that down. The glove doesn't fit. You must have quit. Um, They did not stick. (laughs) They were not legit. Verse 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know the truth. He says, you know better because of the Holy Spirit in you. He says, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth. You know the difference. You know what I'm talking about, he says. And because no lie comes from the truth. And he says, who is the liar? Who is the one who is for real? Who is the one who is a poser? Who is the the real deal Christian? And who is the anti-Christian, the antichrist? Who is this liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ, meaning the Messiah. The word Christ means Christ is not Jesus' last name. You know, it's not Jesus H. Christ. We don't know what the H means, but that is not his name. Christ is a title. It is a definition of who he is as a person. Christ means Messiah. It means anointed. It means promised Savior. So when you see the word Jesus Christ or Jesus Messiah, that's the same word, Christ and Messiah, one's Hebrew, one's Greek. When you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus, the promised Savior who is God with us. See, that's a lot to pack into that one word, Christ. But that is what it means. Every time you see the word Christ, it means promised Savior who is God among us. Guys, this is important. He says, anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ is an antichrist. He says, such a man is the, or an, antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. People will say that Jesus is a great person. They'll say that he's a great teacher. Some will even say that he's one of many gods, but he is either the Christ, the one and only, or they are deceived. And this is exactly what he's saying. He's basically saying if Jesus is called anything else other than the promised Savior who is God with us, that person is considered an antichrist. Strong words, politically incorrect, but that's exactly what he's saying. He goes on to say, verse 24, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. He says, don't get lost in all these newfangled, crazy teachings and books. He says, stay true to what you know is true. He says, if it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. He says, this is, this is the prize for those that, that stay true, eternal life. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. This is one of those times where he says, this is, again, one of the reasons why I'm writing this letter is to divide the rhinestone Christians from the real Christians. This whole section is about not getting suckered into another path or direction when it comes to knowing about Jesus. He says, as for you, the anointing you've received from him, the Holy Spirit, remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, And as that anointing is real, everybody say that anointing is real. He says that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you remain in him. Okay, now, guys, this is not about how you don't need teachers. 
Because the Bible is very clear that there's a spiritual gift given to people and that there is a gift given to the church of leaders called teachers. There's apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. Uh, there are apostles. There, there are gifts given to the church, and one of them is a teacher. A teacher illuminates the Word of God. Uh, it, it helps you to understand the Word of God. But what he is saying here, he's not saying that you don't need uh, teachers, because that's a gift given to the church. But what he's saying is, is that you have inside of you everything that teacher has inside of him. If you are a Christian and he is a Christian, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in that teacher and dwells in you. And just as that teacher can help you to understand God's word, that you, through the Holy Spirit, and study can understand God's word. Now, sometimes we stumble, we get stuck, or we, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, a teacher can help us move in the right direction. I'm not here to teach you what to believe. I'm here to inspire you to seek God's word for yourself. If the only time you read the Bible is when it's on the screen on a Sunday morning, you've missed the purpose of church. If you're a follower of Christ and this is your only food, could you imagine only eating once a week? You would die. A little snack here, a little verse here, a little little devotion here, a little pop-up, you know, version Bible verse during the week, little snacks might sustain you, but you're not growing healthy because you're not feeding yourself. He says, you know what? You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Guys, listen, Christians... If you are a true Christian, you are anointed. Anointing is not some magical exclusive gift given to some. Well, you're anointed and you're, boy, that preaching was anointed. That person's anointed. No, John is saying, if you are a Christian, guess what you have? You have anointing. You are anointed, he says. We have the resource for knowing truth inside of us. It's the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, literally, don't be fooled by false teaching. You know the truth. You have, through the Holy Spirit, the ability to discern the truth. So start using the anointing that you have been given and seek to know the truth for yourself. And sometimes you need a teacher. Sometimes you need, but even a teacher. Like, you should be testing everything that I say through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. You should never just like, you know, some people come in here, it's like a trough. And then just like, man, I, you know, there are pastors that lead people astray. You know, every cult, the difference between a cult and, a, and say a false religion, because cults are false religions too, is that cults claim to be Christian. They claim to be Christ-centered, but they're not. And what's interesting about most of these cults that call themselves Christian is that they were started by churches where a pastor was in front of them, feeding them food that nobody tested. And the church is filled with people who just serve up what's put in front of them, whether it be a book, a movie, uh, you know, some speaker, a preacher. And John's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa grow up. You've got the anointing in you. Test these spirits. There's some guys that are rhinestones out there. Take a closer look. Verse 28 says, and now dear children, he says, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be 
confident and unashamed before him at his coming. And, and you know that he is righteous. You know that everyone who does what is right has been born of God. We're going to talk about that next week. This, that's the passage we're going to end with right now. Uh, we're going to focus on what we just read. Um, so what does this mean? Is this about the end times? It's about the current time. It's about their time. And it applies to our time. Um, remember, John is a senior writing for encouragement to them. The Bible was not written to us. First John was not written to us. It was preserved for us. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or Acts, or you read Romans, or First or Second Corinthians, or, or Ephesians, or, or Galatians, when you read the Bible, there's not a single letter in the Bible written to you. They were written to individuals or to groups of people or to churches, and it was preserved for us. This is important to know because if we want to figure out how to apply what was written to them for our life today, then we got to read it like they would read it first. And then after we read it the way they read it, then we get to see what it means for us. By the way, starting July 2nd, uh, it is my birthday, but it's a Thursday night, and I wanted to make sure we started it before we went to youth camp. July 2nd at our house, I'm going to start a summer Bible study called How to Study God's Word. And we're going to use the book of Revelation. We're going to go verse by verse through the book of Revelation. And we're going to teach you how to study God's word using Revelation as the example. If you can learn how to discern probably the most difficult book in the Bible, then you can learn to read and understand any book in the Bible. So we're going to use the text, the letter of Revelation to teach you how to study God's word. So if you're not in a small group or if you want to go to another one, for the, that means two of them, not skip yours and go to ours instead. But if you want to go to two of them, then on Thursday nights at my house, starting July 2nd, we're going to talk about how to study God's word, uh, word, looking at the book of Revelation as an example. But this is really what it comes down to, is that we need to read the scriptures through the eyes of those that received it. Once we do that, we can then apply it to our life today. So let's do that. Three things to watch out for. The telltale signs of a modern-day Antichrist. This is what he was talking about. This is the signs of poser ministers. Number one, three things, is that they're usually a special guru or a special kind of, you know, you know, the man of God or the woman of God of, of power for the hour. It's a special spiritual guru. Somebody who's set up on a pedestal as someone who whose picture is all over the building. Or we went, Nicole and I, for Valentine's Day, we went to a reunion tower and uh, we walked in and there was just like, no kidding. I mean, there was, there was probably 4,000 cult members there. There was a cult convention there, a very popular South American cult where everybody from head to toe wears white, white doilies on the head, white dresses, white pants, white belts, white shoes, everything head to toe. And uh, we're walking around, and there's pictures in this hallway all over uh, the hotel down there of this leader, like, you know, like this and like this and preaching in front of hundreds of thousands of people. And, uh, we're, you know, we're in like, like dressed up clothes and non-white clothes. So we walk in, and they immediately know that we weren't part of the group, right? So a guy comes in, security, gun, badge, everything. He walks in white head to toe. He comes in, big guy, he's walking. I'm like, honey, we're about to get, you know, we're going to get thrown out of here or something. So he comes up and he's like, hi, how are you? Super nice. 
super nice. And he starts showing us around. This is our leader. This is our prophet. This is our apostle. And he goes, come, come with us. And he walked me into their big auditorium where they, you know, the big convention room. And it was like probably had about, you know, 3,000 people in there. And it was split down the middle, women on one side, men on the other. And you look up at the front, it was like this elaborately, you know, decorated floral stage and these giant mega screens because this is, uh, you know, once or twice a year where the prophet speaks uh, telecast all over the, the world. And so he's trying to bring us in and, you know, talking about communion and all this. And, you know, and I told him I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, so you understand all this. The, 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 I'm like, oh, I understand. I understand very clearly. Uh, they were following a, a spiritual guru. They were following a prophet. They were following a person. Now, their beliefs defined that, that they were a cult, but you can usually identify a cult by a special spiritual guru, a person or a woman of God who says, a man or a woman of God who says, I am God's mouthpiece for you. I speak God's word for you. Now, I believe that when I speak, I'm speaking God's word, but I, I, don't, I, I, I take that very carefully because I want you to test everything that I ever say or any speaker, any person, any pastor says to God's literal word, his, his word, the Bible. This is what John said. He says, I'm writing these things about uh, to you, about those who are trying to lead you astray. He says, but as for you, you have this anointing. You've received this anointing from him, and he remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you, meaning you have the ability to discern. Don't pull up to the trough and eat everything that's served to you. Uh, to see the difference between a world religion is that cults claim to be a Christian. There are rhinestones. For example, here's some of the things. Mormons, their spiritual guru is Joseph Smith. Jehovah's Witnesses, their spiritual gurus are, are Russell and Rutherford. For Seventh-day Adventists, it was Ellen G. White. For Scientology, it's uh, L. Ron Hubbard. For Christian Science, it's Mary Baker Eddy. For the Unity Church, it's Charles Fillmore. You're going to find in every cult there is a spiritual guru that's leading them in a direction that's apparently brand new. Uh, people often give up searching the scriptures and allow others to tell them what to think. They look to the guru or prophet rather than the word of God. You might even say, well, well, but Ted says, honestly, what I say doesn't matter if it doesn't align with God's word. So always test, always test the leader. If you take my word for it, you are susceptible to cults or to a cult. Here's the second thing he said that, that it looks for. He says uh, three things to watch out. Number two, a new and novel teachings. In 1 John 2, 24, he says, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. He says, there are people that are going to come out of the woodwork and uh, out of the own, your own Christian community, and they're going to say, this is something brand new. This is something you never heard before. This is deeper. This is a revelation. That was, man, that's the old stuff, man. That's like years gone by, man. I got a word from the Lord. They, they get overly prophetic or overly mystical and all of a sudden they get oh hold on hold on yes i oh yes i have a word from god i actually grew up in the charismatic church and there was uh, there were people that would stand up front they'd be preaching they go oh hold on yep mm -hmm. okay yes lord yes lord mm -hmm. got it all right mm -hmm. uh okay and then this person would say like i'm like are you for real so if that's god's word then what the, what's the rest of what you're saying 
Is that, is that your words? Is that the flesh? Does God interrupt his own word? You know, and, and these people usually end up falling into terrible sin or exposed into having like terrible practices financially with corruption. Um, but a lot of these people, it's the new and novel teachings. Uh, we are to test and discern them through God's word. Uh, Mormons, for example, some of their new teachings were that God was just a man and that we can progress to be a God. Jehovah's Witnesses have said that only 144,000 are going to heaven and that the Trinity is a lie and that there is no hell. The Unity Church says nothing is real. It's all an illusion. Uh, believe sickness away. And that there are so-called even prophets in the Christian church who have a word for you and for your future. Beware. Beware of new and novel teachings. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've noticed there's always something new being taught. There's always some new teacher, a new conference, a new movement, a new book, a different person. If if you don't go to this, then you feel like you're missing out. If you don't have this, you feel like you're missing out. If you don't meet with this person and you feel like you're missing out. No, John says, you know what? If you don't have this, if you don't have Jesus, you're missing out. So he says, beware. There are fresh teachings and new approaches, but the core teaching of Christ never changes. 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4 says this, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you have received, or a different gospel from the one you have accepted, you put up with it easily enough. That means don't give them your attention. That's what it means. It doesn't mean like put up with it. It means don't even give them your attention. Here's the third thing, a warning sign. Not only are they spiritual gurus, not only do they like to have new and novel teachings, but number three is that they have a different Jesus. They have a different Jesus. First John 2, 22, he says, what is a liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. For instance, Mormons, they'll say that Jesus is the brother of Satan and that he is the actual created offspring of God and that God the Father actually had sexual relationships with Mary and she produced a offspring of the literal father in heaven. The Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they don't say that Jesus is God, but rather they say that he is Michael, the archangel in the flesh, that he is God's first creation, not God or God's son. The Unity Church will say that he was just a man who understood the divine principles. And just as that man could, we could too. The Jesus Seminar and certain liberal Christians, they'll often teach that he is not divine uh, and that there is no miracles, that he was just a positive role model. Guys, a different Jesus. Galatians 1, 8, and 9 says, but even if we, guys, this is important because he says, even if I fall away, even if my teachings begin to change with new and novel revelation, he says, even if I or an angel, that means a spirit from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Don't allow your understanding of Scripture to be viewed through the lens of one person, ever. That's what John's saying. So let's wrap it up with the two questions in this passage. Very short, very quick questions. The first question is this, and I would call it the perseverance question, and that is, 
did they stick it out or did they bail out? Because he said this in 1 John 2.19, he says, they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Guys, listen, when life gets tough, when your faith seems dry, when you get bored with going to church, or when life gets hard, do you stick it out or, you, or do you go on to the next thing that's going to fix you or make you feel important or that's going to grab your attention? Because this is, the, this is the spiritual lie detector test. This is question number six, and that is, did they stick it out or do they bail out? Because John says, if they stick it out, they're truly his. But if they bailed, they were never, they were never his. And this is important to know. Our faith is, is so much more about how we finish rather than how we start. Sometimes it may take even years to know if someone's truly a follower of Christ. That's what it says in Hebrews 10, 35. It says this. It says, so do not throw away your confidence. He says, don't give up on your faith. He says, it will be richly rewarded. He says, you need to persevere. Means you need to, to you need to get your feet grounded and you need to put your, your post in the ground. You need to hang on. He says you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not and will not delay. He's quoting Isaiah from uh, about the Messiah. He says, But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But he, or we, true Christ followers, are not of those who shrink back, who bail, who fall back. He says, who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who believe. That word there is continually believe, continually trust, and are saved. Guys, this is important. Bailing out versus those who stick it out. We live in a day when... People think all they need to do is walk an aisle, sign a card, check a licks, uh, check a list, check a box, uh, say a prayer, and and we're set. We think you know that that you know when I was eight at camp, or when I was in jail, or before we got married, there was a sparkle. There was a there was a there was you know I I went through the motions. I I went to church. I I did all the things. I volunteered. I went on a mission trip. I did it all. I did it all. Man, I was as shiny as everyone else around me. But perhaps they're just a rhinestone. Perhaps it was just about religion and not regeneration. Perhaps they were going through the motions, sparkling as a rhinestone, but not truly a follower of Christ. And this is a real challenge because here's some thoughts about shrinking back. Uh, you can write these down. First thought is this. Is God star- uh, good starts don't guarantee happy endings. Because we see this in John, in, uh, in John and in Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus gives the parable of the soils, he says there's like four types of people out there. He says there are those who have such a hard heart that the word doesn't even penetrate. And he says, and then there's a second type, and that's the type of person that, that it gets into the soil and it starts to grow, but there's so many weeds and so many cares of life that the cares of life choke it out and it never grows and it dies. He says, and then there's a third kind, and it's the kind that, that gets down and it starts growing and it grows fast, but there's so many stones in the soil, it's so rocky that it never takes root. And so when the sun comes out because they're so shallow, 
it dies. He says, but there's a fourth type. He says, and that fourth type has got good, strong soil. But he says, in due season, they will reap the harvest, meaning it might take a while before you see it. Don't always look at the fast start. Don't always look at the guys that show up to Bible study first. Don't always look at the guy who never misses church. Look at the one who's consistent. And it may take time before you see if someone's legitimate or not. That's what Matthew 13 is all about. We got guys like Judas, man, good guy or bad guy. Good ending, a good start, but a bad ending. Uh, he, was, he had a great start, man. He was a follower of Jesus. He went, he was with them when they cast out devils, and he laid hands on the sick. Uh, but when, when, when it came time to the end, he, he denied Christ, and he hung himself. And here's his flip side is, however, is that detours don't always mean a departure. Some of you are like, well, what if I gave my life to Christ and then I spent some time wandering? Well, if you feel the Holy Spirit calling you home, then maybe you're his and you just need to come on home. I look at someone like Peter who, who followed Christ and then departed from Christ, denying him, cussing people out, saying I wanted nothing to do with him and left Jesus at his most uh, you know, significant time of need. But yet he came home, he came back, and he became a great, great leader. So why do some people bail? Here's a couple of reasons why people bail. Is uh, First of all, um, these are, these are everybody use your quotation fingers. Everybody do this, go like that. And everybody say this, Christians. Everybody say Christians. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you a Christian? <laughs> because there are Christians and then there are Christ followers. All right? A follower of Christ is someone who says, Jesus, here's my life. I will follow you with all that I have. And then there are Christians. So these are the type of people that tend to bail. They are the Christians, quotation fingers, the cultural Christians. They're the ones that never had it in the first place. They might have grown up in church. They might have had friends who are Christians. Uh, you know, they, they went to church because it was expected. It's what they always did. Uh, they needed help, but conditions changed and they find that they outgrew their faith. They were cultural Christians. And then there were the convenient Christians. The convenient Christians were the ones that, that began following Christ out of need, but when they became disillusioned by trials, disillusioned by, tra by tragedy and by pain, uh, even, ever, have you ever seen someone who, who's gone through a horrible experience and they go, it helped me to know God better? And those that have said, you know, that horrible experience caused me want, to want nothing to do with God. No, there's two perspectives. That's because one was a convenient Christian. One was not following Christ as Savior, but as someone who was like a, a Coke machine. If they just put in their prayers and put in their money and, and show up and they pull the lever, they're going to get what they want. But when things don't turn out the way that they had pulled the lever for, all of a sudden they bail. This is what First Peter 1, 6 says, In this you will greatly rejoice, though now for a little while... You may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He says, you know what? In this life, it's going to be hard. You're going to lose people you love. You're going to lose jobs. You're going to struggle possibly financially in seasons. You're, you're going to have trouble in relationships and family. You're going to have flat tires. You're going to get sick. You might even have a terrible disease. He says, whatever it is in this life, there's going to be people who will give you a terrible experience in this world. 
He says, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. He says, even though gold, even though it's refined by fire, he says, you know what? It's greater than gold. Your faith is more precious than gold. He says, it may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He says, the genuineness of your faith is proven through the trials. But there are convenient Christians who bail when it gets tough. Let me put it this way. After I paint a wall, you know, I like to paint at my house. After I paint a wall, um, when I touch the wall, I'm not trying to mess up the wall. I'm not trying to ruin a paint job. I'm trying to see if it's finished. I'm trying to see if it's ready. I'm trying to confirm that it's ready. You know, when you buy a cleanser and it's a very real strong, powerful cleanser, what do you do? You, you, you test it. You, you put it off to the side and you, and you put it to the test to confirm whether it works or not. Or I think of when I went to New York City and, and uh, a few years ago, not this past time, but a few years ago when Nicole and I were younger, man, there were people like literally with their coats open selling like watches and all kinds of jewelry and stuff. What you think in the cartoons is, and on TV, it's real. So we were out at, uh, at, at this, uh, this park, and this guy was like, coats open. They, have, they carry around briefcases, like, you know, briefcases, pop the briefcase. They got Rolexes and all these kind of watches and jewelry and stuff. And you're like, oh, man, a Rolex for 10 bucks? No way. A Rolex for 20 Those are diamonds? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir, those are diamonds. They're, most of those guys were African and... and in, uh, in the beach, uh, at the beach, at the park we were at. And here's the deal. You look in, they look good until the first humid day. And then it gets foggy inside because the trial proved its authenticity. It's the same way in the kingdom. Here's another reason why Christians bail. There are consumer Christians. They're seduced by worldly treasures and interest. The more interested in money, in relationships, in hobbies, they're consumers. If they need Jesus, they'll show up and get their fix. But if they don't need Jesus, then they don't show up or they don't involve or they don't read or they don't pray because they're consumer Christians. They're just here to get. And then there are those that bail who are what I would call conceited Christians. They're the prideful, arrogant ones. They're the ones that say, you know what? I've outgrown this experience. I've become enlightened. I've become smarter. Uh, uh, the Bible is out of touch. It's just so boring. And, and uh, by the way, all good relationships get boring from time to time. I think of when Noelle was small and uh, when she would walk around, the go that, uh, walk around the house going, I'm boring. I'm boring. Now, she was obviously meaning to say, I'm bored, but that's kind of how we are. We walk around and say, I'm bored. I'm bored with God. I'm bored with church. I'm bored with Jesus. You know, you know what? Maybe it's because you, you feel so confident in your ability. You're so, you know, conceited and prideful that you've, you feel like you've outgrown. Guys, listen, just in real life, our spiritual life has times when it's exciting and times when it's not very exciting. In every good marriage, you have to push through the boredom sometimes. During those times, some just go off on their own and they drop out. They bail out. The perseverance test, did I stick it out or bail out? And I want to end with this. I'm going to pray with you. The last question is this, and we call it the Jesus question. And that is, is Jesus the Messiah or a Messiah? There's a big difference between the word the and A. First John 2, 22, he says, who is the liar? Who's the real deal and who's the fake? Well, the fake is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. 
Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the, is the exact image of the Father in the flesh. In Colossians 2, the writer tells us that Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And that when you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. In John 14, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. Guys, the Bible is very clear. Jesus is and will always be God with us, the promised one, the Savior, the Messiah. And, and he's not just the promised one, God. He's the promised Savior who is God. Savior means that we have a problem that we needed to be saved from. See, in the word Christ means Savior, Savior from our sin, Savior from our own self-destructive behavior and habits. Jesus is God with us who has come to rescue us from ourselves. Over and over, the Bible is clear. Jesus is God, our Savior. I want you to write this down. If Jesus isn't God, he's not a great teacher either. He's a fraud. You cannot say that Jesus is a good teacher or a good man or a good person. If I went around and I told people I was God and it didn't really matter what I did, you'd think I'm crazy. If I went around talking as if I were the very words of God, regardless of how good the other stuff was and how insightful and important, if I said, love each other, but I'm also God, you'd think that guy's crazy. Well, the same is true for Jesus. He said he was God. He was clear on it. So he is either God or that's it, or he's a liar. He's a fraud. Some might say, I don't know about that because he was a good teacher. Well, it's like C.S. Lewis had said, he is either a liar, Jesus is either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he's Lord. So here's what I want you to do. I want us to pray for a moment right now. I want you to ask, is Jesus your Messiah, the Messiah, not one of many Messiahs? He's not the pick for you. He's the only pick for the world. He's not a possibility around the globe. He's the only possibility for the globe. He is the Messiah. And John says, you know what? If there's anybody who says or believes otherwise, they are anti-Christ. They are against Christ. They are against the Savior who is God with us. So I want to pray for you. Let's bow our heads. So is Jesus a man, a myth, or is he make-believe? God, I pray, Lord, that as we uh, finish and as we pray right now, God, God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to, to the anointing of God for those of us that are Christians in this room, that we would take seriously the gift of the Holy Spirit to understand God's word. And God, I pray if there's anyone here that, that has just jumbled you together with one of the many gods or deities or religions of the world, God, I pray that their eyes are opened up to the choice, the moment of truth right now, that they must choose whether the word of God is true or if it is a lie. That, he, that Jesus is either who he says he is or he is crazy. But God, I pray that people in this room would be true to the Holy Spirit's conviction in their heart and be true intellectually to, to what they hear today. If you're here today and you'd like to say, you know what? I get it. I understand. Jesus is the only way. He is the Messiah. And I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to be a phony. I don't want to be a rhinestone Christian. 
be the real deal. And just take a moment and ask God to forgive you of your sins. God, just tell him, God, forgive me of my sin. God, thank you for the cross. Go ahead and tell him in your own words, God, thank you for the cross that forgave me. It gave me a chance to say, Jesus, take my life, take my sin, forgive me. God, forgive me for following strange and weird teachers and teaching. God, help me to be rooted and grounded in your truth and in who you are. God, teach me what it means to follow after you and to know you, not just to be a quote-unquote Christian, but God, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would teach me to stick it out, not to bail out. God, when times get tough, I can hold on to you, the anchor of my soul, who will never let me go. God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.